Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Okay, we are so excited to welcome Carmen Johnston of Carmen Johnston gardens to the show today. If you're on TikTok, you've probably seen her sharing her very some very helpful tips and tricks. And she's also known for her attention to aesthetic and the creation of stunning outdoor spaces while taking function and lifestyle into consideration. Carmen is a Georgian native with 15 years of experience. And coming soon in 2022, she is going to continue her role for HGTV as their outdoor living designer and on-camera expert. Today, we are going to just chat about landscape design. We've got some questions from Instagram. We recently did a series of videos with you that we're going to link to in the show notes, but I know we have some questions around those, and we're just going to chat, answer all of our outdoor outdoor questions today since it's spring and everybody's ready to get out and get their hands dirty. I know. We're all so excited. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. And that shoot that we just did, I cannot wait for everybody to see. We uh, showcased some of my favorite pieces from Ballard Designs. Y'all have so many incredible outdoor collections. And um, I'm just glad to be here. Okay. Well, I think we have to start with, in my opinion, what was the piece de resistance in the series, which was the how-to basically take our faux boxwood planter filler, which I'm sure many of y'all, if you've followed Ballard for a long time, would have seen these. We've carried them for a long time. Carmen totally sort of turned them up on their head by planting underneath them. So I'm Carmen, I want you to explain, and we have a whole how-to video that we're going to put on our YouTube channel that we'll link to in the notes. But Carmen, I want you to kind of describe what it is that you do with the boxwoods and why and Give us sort of a quick synopsis of the process. So many of my clients often struggle with boxwoods, right? So I think it's so glad, I'm so grateful that y'all invented the most incredible faux boxwood topiaries because they actually, well, they're they're spheres. I love to use topiaries too, but they're spheres and um, they're great because they're fade resistant. But um, what we like to do for our clients who just do not like to water, who have a really tough time, is we will plant them. And what we do is we halfway fill up the container, and we actually use some of your containers with bark, and then we fill it up with really good soil. But in the center, we use a five-gallon bucket, and we drill holes in the bottom of it so the water won't sit. And we set the the five-gallon bucket in the dirt and then we put the sphere on top and then we underplant it with like whatever season it is whether it's spring whether it's uh, summer or whether it's uh, for christmas time and uh, it's just a really great way to enhance your doorways we did it in a bench for for the sheet so you're definitely going to have to tune in and watch the video to so you can like i know we're talking about it right now and it may be hard to visualize but it's such a great pro trick that i think everybody needs to use because even if you don't want to underplant you can always just top dress with moss around it so you will have containers looking good all year round okay 
Top dress. Just explain that because I think there's a lot of people listening who are like, top dress. <laughs> okay, so I guess top dress is just the way I say how you zhuzh it up. Basically, you just literally would place the moss directly on top of the dirt so it's level with the top of the container. Yeah, so everyone, if you could picture, it, you know, like, like Carmen said, it's hard to picture this, but imagine if you've ever seen like a gorgeous topiary tree planted in a planter, there's, there's layers, right? There's like your boxwood. And then sometimes there's like stuff spilling out of the bottom by doing these extra pieces, like doing this underplanting, it just makes the boxwood look so much more realistic. You know, it makes it look like a true boxwood because it has these other things in it instead of just plopping the boxwood down into the planter. It's such a game changer to underplant like that because you don't realize that the boxwood is faux at all. And I thought that was it was really interesting, too, because I always have a tough time how to arrange plants in a planter. And you made it so easy just by taking the focal point plants, putting them in the corners of the planter, and then just kind of filling it in with with yeah, things that are going to drape and Liz, I'm impressed. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's it. So I have a formula actually. So you always want to have three T's when you're planting. You want to have something tall, you want to have something thick, and you want something trailing. So our something tall, of course, is the faux boxwood, right? Our something thick is the geraniums in the corners. And then our something trailing to soften the edges was the plectranthus. And that's all in the video. So that's if you follow that formula and just kind of visualize and you can follow on the plant tag it often tells you like how big or what the plant's going to do right so that particular container in the video is for full intense sun mm -hmm. so just be aware make sure that you always pay attention to the plants you know what they do how tall they grow and whether they take sun or shade Okay, I have more questions about this process because I truly was about to go order the boxwoods myself and do this. I have some containers that I already have that I've just done a terrible job of maintaining. They always look crummy. And I feel like the boxwood is the perfect solution for this. Here are my questions. Okay, first off, if I'm not using that specific container that you show in the video, how do I know what size boxwood per the container? Like say if my container's... 17 inches like should it be around the same size as the lip of your container should it be yes so scale is always so important when you are choosing your containers and also when you're choosing the the faux boxwood spheres so i always say go bigger go home never ever ever put something small in the in the center of a container I mean, you want it to be the most impact so y'all actually have i think is it two or three sizes so the bigger one, it's okay if the box would, you want it to stay right inside of the lip of the container, because even if you can only plant the four corners on like a 17 inch, you know, square container or round container, right? You still will have a little edge to go and plant around. So don't go small on those. You always want to make sure that you go big, go big or go home. Anytime you're doing containers, anytime you're creating a focal point in your garden, remember that philosophy. So I can go, I can have a boxwood that the diameter is bigger than the actual container that I'm doing, or should it be like right around the same size? Well, right, right around the same size. Sorry, okay, that was okay. a little bit confusing. Yeah. You just don't want to choose, you know, a really tiny, small Like I wouldn't want an 11 go. inch. 
Correct. Exactly. Got it. Okay. All right. Okay. And then what about different plants? Because you mentioned your clients don't love watering, but do geraniums and that kind of thing not also need water? (laughs) So like, what are some good plants if you are going to forget, but then you're going to get the occasional downpour from the sun or from the, the, you know, the sky. So sedum, Angelina sedum. Let me spell that one for y'all. A-N-G-E-L-I-N-A. Angelina sedum is a beautiful, gorgeous, bright chartreuse green color, and it trails. That's a great one. So you want to try to stick with sedums, plectranthus. Uh, and y'all, all of these, you're going to have to watch the videos because we actually showcase a lot of these in the video. And diamond frost is a euphorbia. Those plants don't take a lot of water, and that's a really pretty colorway. That's a gorgeous, like, white and green. I love a white and green garden. Um, You know, the gardens that I design, uh, I love color. I do love color, but there's just something about designing a white and green garden that just makes you feel calm, you know, and relaxed. And uh, But I also like to have little hints and pops of color. I think people are going to say, oh my goodness, one, I didn't think about using a five gallon bucket to hold it in place, right? Because you don't want it to move around. And it's something that everybody has. And that's something that I always try to do is, you know, how do we make gardening approachable for everybody, right? A lot, oftentimes, Caroline, people like you, they kind of sometimes, I can hear the little intimidation in you, in the voice, in your uh, in the background, but it's okay. Just dive in, just try it. And if you kill a few things, it's all right. Just try again. It's a lot like cooking to me. Now, when you do these big with the box with them center and all the plants around it, where are you placing them? Are you placing them, you know, like I don't want to have like too much going on, you know what I mean? But I want my front door or around a pool. What are you, where are you placing these bigger kind of substantial looking boxwoods and details? So you always want to greet your guests with style, right? So I always believe you should have containers flanking each side of your front entryway. Um, any entryways into, let's say, your backyard, if you have a garden gate, or if you want to help direct the flow of how your guests move through the garden, that's where I like to use larger containers. Uh, especially, like I currently, I was so lucky I got to take home those beautiful boxwoods and those containers, I and that bench. Uh, I currently have them anchoring on the sides of the bench. So anywhere you want to create those focal points in your garden. And the reason why I always like to use really big containers is because I have this theory that small pots turn into crock pots, especially in the South, because they you know, just take a lot of water. And what's great about using really nice size containers is you don't have to water them as often. You know, those little tiny small pots, right? They have to be watered every single day. But the larger containers, maybe, you know, about three times a week. It just depends on how hot it gets. Because as y'all well know, we're in Atlanta, south of Atlanta, and it gets rather hot here in the summertime. And are the plants you listed for the, and you speak to in the videos, those are good all summer. If I, if I plant those right now in the spring, I should have that beautiful look all through the summer. Okay. Yeah. If I, if that, I don't but, kill it, of course. <laughs> You, you can do this, Taryn. I promise you, you can do it. I believe oh, I'm willing you. to try. I'm willing <laughs> to try. I've killed a few things so, in my day. I mean, plants. Um, but yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, they will. The geraniums, the diamond frost, the plectranthus, all those will go throughout the season. Now, a little trick about the geraniums is you want to deadhead them. So as the blooms kind of start to what we call fade out, we have a term in our world called peter out. That just means where the bloom fades out. You just want to snip it off so all the energy can focus, can go into the regrowth of a new bloom. So, but the diamond frost and the plectranthus, those are no brainers. Taryn, you can do it. I believe. I know you can. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do we need to deadhead all of our plants throughout the season? Like keep going around and snip, snip? Okay, Liz, that's a great question. So when you, certain plants need, or flowers, and right now, let me just kind of clarify, we're actually talking about annuals. So this is annual color. Annuals, just so everybody knows, annuals bloom throughout you once a year. A perennial, you know, you plant it in the ground and it comes back every single year. So we're talking about annuals right now. There are certain annuals that you do not have to, to deadhead, right? That they just kind of, like, for instance, lantana. Lantana is another great plant that if you have a, um, you know, if you have a tough time watering, you don't have to worry about deadheading that. It'll continue to keep coming out. But like petunias, definitely you want to deadhead them. And I have a rule of thumb that I like to cut things around like July 4th before we leave for our family vacation. For July 4th, I like to cut everything like halfway back, right? So then everything will flush back out and look great you know, before we do not have children, but when all of our friends are getting, you know, they're having to take the school pictures by the front door, right? Everything will, uh, will flush back out and look great. So it just depends on exactly what type of flowering is. Most trailing plants, you need to cut halfway back. So they'll flush back out, but some things you do not have to cut back. On the topic of deadheading, is there a difference between deadheading, which I assume really means like kind of as the flower is starting to die like it's not at its peak like it's sort of when it's past its prime versus cutting it when it's in its prime like if I've got hydrangeas for example and I can just go in and cut them bring them inside use them inside there's not really a difference in terms of the the way it's going to rebloom if I cut it then versus deadheading later Right. So I see. Okay. So hydrangeas are definitely a very um, a popular topic because, especially right now, everybody's asking, you know, when do you cut back your hydrangeas? So you just have to be super careful about like when you are. So you asked about a hydrangea. So most of the time, you know, you have different. You have the blue Nico hydrangeas. They bloom on old wood, and then you have the limelight hydrangeas which are the beautiful white ones, or also called paniculata hydrangeas. They are not picky. You can cut them anywhere, right? And you can bring them inside and enjoy them at any time. But the uh, Nico blue hydrangeas, they bloom on old wood. So you just want to be real careful and cautious about where you cut those. And you know what? You can't hurt a plant. It's okay. Like you're not going to. So don't be afraid of deadheading. You, the only thing you can do by deadheading is just help regenerate new growth. You cannot hurt a plant by deadheading. You cannot do it wrong. Is there a difference between deadheading and pruning? Oh, 100%. Right. Yes, 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 yes. So deadheading is just the simple process of where you are just cutting back the actual bloom. Pruning is when we're actually shaping up uh, whether it's done in the wintertime or in the springtime, it completely depends on the plant. 
uh, we are shaping up for the future growth of the plant, right? So that, yeah, there's uh, deadheading is something that we particularly do with annuals and uh, pruning is something that you usually do with shrubs and trees. I love that tip about cutting everything back at July 4th. Like I can remember that. That's, that's a good trigger date. So are there any other kind of times on our calendars that we should be saying like, okay, you know, Valentine's Day, do we prune back our hydrangeas? Like what, what other kind of calendar dates can we look to, to do some maintenance? Okay. So of course we know that we have listeners listening all over the country, right? So it is first, it is very important to identify the zone that you live in because that completely determines when and what you can do in your garden. And a really simple way to find that out is just go on the, um, just having the farmer's almanac, try to figure out what zone you live in, right? So we are in zone eight. We all live in Atlanta. We're in anywhere between like zone seven and zone eight, right? And so for our particular um, time of year, in late winter, you want to do certain things like get the garden cleaned up, pick up all the sticks. There are certain things that you can prune back during that time of year. Like, for instance, you want to prune back your, we get a ton of questions about this, you know, your limelight hydrangeas. You want to do those in late winter. And then also, once things like start flushing out, I'm thinking about this right now because we all know that we have the masters going on and azaleas are starting to bloom everywhere. You want to prune back your azaleas. There's certain plants you want to prune back after they bloom. So the, 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 th- the best thing I can tell everybody to do is pay attention to the zone you're in. Just do a little research because gardening is so specific to where you live. It's kind of hard to give just like overall of this is what you do and when you do it. Because really the weather determines everything. And Easter is late this year for us. So that means you know, we're still going to have some colder weather. And uh, so there's certain things that you, you know, can't do quite yet because we haven't passed. We're not past our frost free date. So just check out your zone and, and figure figure this those things out. <laughs> but if you live in our zone, you're in luck today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is so Sorry. hard because I want to go out and plant so much, but I keep hearing like, don't put anything in the ground until after Easter here in the yes. South because it's, it's, I've broken we, up. <gasps> oh, I, I broke it. I know, I but it is going to freeze this weekend. It's going right. to get, it's going to get right. in the we 30s actually, this weekend. Uh, are getting some clients ready for for prom, right? And they wanted everything planted. They wanted annual color. And so I have my crews going out there covering everything with sheets at night. You know, that's another great tip and a great trick. So if you do want to break the rule just a touch, and we're not going to get a really hard freeze, that you can place sheets. Um, Sheets allow kind of some um, breathing that you can actually, we cover our containers with sheets and that helps the frost, what we call laying or settling in on the plants. And then you just remove them the next morning after the fear of frost. But Liz, you are exactly right. You're supposed to wait in our area. It is April 15th is the magic Tax date. Day. There you go. You can uh-huh. All right. We got this next week. <laughs> or, or it's so we, hard. I've already got out. my plants all lined up in the yard, like waiting to go in the ground. I I'm, know. I'm it is exciting. But for all the listeners, you know, around the country, just be aware. Check out your frost-free date before you start getting your annuals in the ground. 
Okay. Well, then what about perennials? When can, can you pr- plant them anytime? Like you want to okay, plant them when they're a- dormant, right? You can. Yes, you can. You can definitely plant um, perennials when they're, when they're dormant. So I actually love to plant perennials for us in the fall. Fall is like one of my favorite times to get perennials in the ground because it allows them to get established. It allows, the, allows their root structures to get going. And in the springtime, they are absolutely gorgeous. But now let me just tell this to you. Since we, you know, uh, I'm a landscape designer. I have landscape crews that we go and install gardens all over the Southeast. We plant perennials year round. But I like to plant things in the fall because it's just not as stressful on the plants. But y'all, we are planting perennials right now as we speak. <laughs> I'm okay. planting them, so it's a great time of year to do it as well. Okay, I want to go back to container gardens just for one second. Are there any tips or common mistakes that you see people making with containers, especially in terms of like planting them, like wrong soil? too high, too low. I don't know. Containers, I feel like are always what people say are like the introduction to gardening, but I always feel like mine died. There's clearly something <laughs> I'm doing wrong. Uh, <laughs> Caroline, you are so right. Container gardens are like the gateway into gardening and it just helps people oh, no. become more comfortable. It is. So the number one thing and where I think a lot of people make a mistake is they don't make sure that the container has proper drainage. They forget to drill holes in the bottom of the pot or oftentimes, like, for example, on your containers, which is great. Y'all have already drilled the hole in the pot and it's a nice size hole. You just have to remove the rubber stopper at the end of it. So make sure that you have really good drainage and go ahead and add extra drainage. Go ahead. No one's going to see the bottom of the pot. Take that drill and drill You know, plenty of things. Okay, next, you want, you want to make sure you have plenty of holes so that water doesn't sit. You know, I often say plants, imagine if you were to jump in a swimming pool and you could not come up for air. That's the same thing with plants. You know, they don't like to be shoved and submerged underwater. They need airflow so they can develop their root structure. Number two, soil. Just like we need to put good food into our bodies, do not go cheap on the soil. It is very, very important to just go ahead and spend good money on soil. Um, I have certain, you know, brands that I like to use because I just know they work. They work really well, but don't go cheap. And another question we often get a lot is, do I have to replace the soil every single year? Yes. You want to constantly have all those great nutrients feeding your plants. Your containers and your plants will love you if you give them new soil every single year. But a great way to save money on that so it doesn't have to be you know all soil especially in larger pots and I show this on the videos is you can use like a pine bark or a mini nugget we'll often take empty um, containers and flip them upside down and fill up the bottom of the pot right and so that way maybe do that um, not halfway but just you know like a fourth of the bottom of the pot fill it with a substance like that the empty containers or the mini nuggets the pine nuggets Um, Or people use packing peanuts and you don't have to use as much soil. Okay. Because I feel like sometimes people suggest gravel, but wouldn't, is that, it just makes it it really heavy. You could definitely use gravel. You could. And it's just a matter of your, you know, one of the great things about containers is you can move them around. So if you're, you know, we know a lot of people are buying houses right now. They're moving or they're building. And that's what's great about investing in really nice containers is that you can, they move with you. 
And so I think if you put gravel in the bottom, it'd be really hard to move. But if you have a problem with wind, which we have some clients like on the lakes that the wind will blow them over, we do use gravel or cinder block okay. in the bottom of it. Okay, that's smart. Okay. I've used plastic recycling bottles, like water bottles. Tote. Yeah, and then great. and then you can lift your pot and it makes it so much lighter. Wait, wait a second. Do you take the top off? Like, what do? What, <laughs> how do you do this? You just stacking bottles? Yeah, I just okay. toss the. Re- so what you know. I'm hearing is you sh- you put some trash in the bottom. <laughs> I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, you know, it's anything it's, that water will flow around is essentially right. what you're saying, but that will take space because you got to still think about drainage. Yeah, because Carmen, you said an upside down gardening pot, but. Wouldn't that block the drainage holes? Mm-mm. Nope, nope. You just literally put them. So the p- empty pots have holes also in them, right? Oh, I guess that's true. So yeah. when you flip them upside down, if it it just it's kind of it's just holds. Um, it's like a space holder, if that makes right. sense. So no, we okay. we do it all the time, and the water okay. just goes straight through them. Okay, perfect. Can you? You said you have some brands you like. I, I would love just to know what they are. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. one of my go-tos is Fafford, uh, F-A-F-F-A-R-D. It is, um, or Metro Mix. It is just one of my go-tos. And it is expensive for a bag, uh, but I'm telling y'all, your plants, you, your neighbors are going to be jealous because they're going to want to know what was the secret sauce that made your containers <laughs> look absolutely incredible. And you can find that at your local garden centers. Okay. 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 What about size of planters? Like, are, because I mean, I'm obviously different sizes for different applications, but do you kind of have the same philosophy as you do with the boxwoods that you should go bigger or? Yes. Okay. Is there like a, you know, like a general diameter or size that you kind of. I never, if I'm anchoring a front door and uh, no matter if it's a small front door or if it's front porch, I never go less than a 24 inch diameter pot because I, now you can do some smaller pots, but I really just, I prefer to have two really big statement pieces on each side of the front door versus then having a little tiny, like I said earlier, a bunch of little crock pots, you know, going down the stairway right? Okay. It just makes it a lot easier. You're going to have a higher success rate for maintenance. And one, your guests are just, it just makes a bigger impact. So no less than I'm um, 24 inches, but oftentimes a lot of my clients in their gardens, I mean, we go pretty big. We'll do 36 inches and 42 inch containers. And of course, those are a little bit pricier. I love to use the Italian Impronata terracotta. It's just something that ages and patinas really well. And then they don't have to water them as much. And and they just, they look so much better too. So scale, scale, scale is Mm -hmm. very important when you're choosing your containers. And y'all have got some great ones. The ones that we use in the video where we're doing the faux boxwood, that is a great size container. Okay, well, I'm feeling like maybe I need to ditch my 17-inch width one and get a bigger one. <laughs> and then get she a gone. bigger boxwood. Because I do think I was kind of feeling like it was too small. And after you say that, it's You're just validated. Small, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, where do we want to go to next? Now that we, I feel like containers are yeah, good. I know. I'm got sorry. Got I feel soil. like I've been asking all the questions. So I, I even had a question because behind you, you have a gorgeous little setup behind you in your office with a lattice and all these beautiful plants on it. Oh. I also have the. Can we talk plants indoor? Are we allowed to? Is that like an area? Because yeah, I. What do you do inside? How do I do inside plants? Same soil. I have all those. You want to know how much, how often you would change the soil indoors? Like, yeah. What's your just like rules on indoor plants and the pots? Indoor plants. I have lots of indoor plants at home. I actually have a table that sits in my sunroom that I change out like every three months with the season. Mm -hmm. So I have to be honest with you. I like to change my indoor plants out a ton. I mean, like often I'm always, I cannot personally keep an orchid alive. (laughs) And <laughs> thank you for your honesty yeah. that yeah. really yes. helps all of us listening <laughs> and so usually the soil in an indoor container lasts about 12 to 18 months and so you want to change that out that often but I love to keep maiden hairs various birds nest uh I cannot keep a fiddle fig alive so do not ask me about a fiddle fig I mean they are just so tough to, to, to keep alive, but I'm so fortunate. I work with a lot of incredible growers that are sending me beautiful plants to try out all the time. So we keep a lot of beautiful plants rotating inside of our home. And, uh, and it's just a great way to freshen up and liven the space and just make your guests feel welcome. I mean, I just, I think everybody needs to have a few little hints of indoor things that are living and one of a, a great thing that you have an incredible piece in your collection it's that self-watering container yeah i think it's called canopy it's a canopy yes oh i am so excited about it and i actually have two of them currently sitting on that table that we change out every year y'all y'all have to check this out if y'all have not gotten one yet into I kind of want to get one after seeing your video. <laughs> yeah, they're incredible. They're great. They um, it's a they have a water reservoir at the bottom, and then a cork with a wick that wicks up into the next level of glass that is planted. So it's a self-watering container, and you don't have to. You just keep the water reservoir filled at the bottom. And I have so many gorgeous indoor. I still have. The plants that we used for our video, they are still living in that incredible container on our um, indoor plant and our uh, table on our sunroom. So that's another great tip. What are some good plants to put in that? Like, is would a maiden hair work in, yes. in there? That's exa- I have maiden hairs, lemon button ferns, and bird's nest um, currently planted in, in my container. And they're fragile. So just that's another tip that y'all everyone needs to know about their their glass they're hand blown if i'm correct and um they're they're fragile so just um you know kind of handle them with kid gloves but uh they are they're my favorite and what's great about it is you can see the root structure growing in the bottom of them they're they're really pretty pieces i am very intimidated by planting like a um sort of a it's not really a it's not a terrarium because it doesn't have a top but it's sort of like that long-term arrangement I feel very comfortable with flower arrangements with cut flowers but the arranging um like living flowers like that really is 
something that baffles me. So do you have any tips about like, do you have the same like three T's philosophy for an indoor container or is that so, only outdoors? I think oftentimes what happens with indoor containers is people overwater them. I think they overcompensate for them and they feel like they have to keep them watered all the time. My rule of thumb is you just want to keep the soil moist to the touch. You don't want to drown it where it suffocates it and, and you know, and it can't breathe. So, um, and it just depends on like, for example, maidenhair ferns need a ton of water, right? But apothos, Caroline, that may be your plant that you may need to try. P-O-T-H-O-S. Apothos doesn't need a lot of water. So oftentimes what I'll do is before I go to bed, and this may happen like once a month, is I'll put it in my kitchen sink, run the water over it, you know, let it drain overnight, get up in the morning, and I do that once a month, and, and I'm golden. And pothos are, are, are super easy. So I, I, another tip that I would have for if you're just starting to, you know, grow indoor plants is start easy. Don't, don't, uh, you know, overwhelm yourself with a ton of different plants. Try plants that they'll say on the tag, don't require a lot of water or they don't require a lot of light as well. Well, it, it seems like that self-watering thing might be the, oh, the yeah. solution for me because <laughs> I will forget. It's to, beautiful. To, yeah. Yeah. But th this way it, it'll water itself. So don't have to worry. As, okay. So I'm, I really love maidenhair fern, but I've never been able to do it because again, with the water. So I feel, do you feel <laughs> like I can, I can handle it if I have the self-watering? Yes. Maidenhairs okay. love water. They absolutely love it. And if you don't have the self-watering container, another one of my great tips for maidenhairs is I love to keep them in a Ziploc bag. I will take it out of the pot, put it in a Ziploc bag, and then shove it into a cash pot or into a container and keep the water in the plastic bag because they will drink it up. They love it. Now that's only from maidenhair ferns. A lot of that technique would not work well for other plants, but for maidenhairs, that's one of my secret pro tips. Where is a good place to find moss? I can never your, find good moss. Your local craft store or your local florist. You can also go into your local florist, ask them to order it for you you know, the beautiful reindeer moss. But we, of course, because of my business and what we do, we order it in bulk. But a lot of homeowners, check out your local craft store or ask your florist to order it for you. Is the moss okay to cover all of my like indoor plants pot like the soil with? It is. And you just water straight onto it. Yes. So now, of course, you're not, if you have succulents inside, mm -hmm. you definitely don't want to use moss for succulents. Okay. Okay. That's too but moisture holding? It is. Is that what it is? succulents okay. don't need a lot, a lot of water. But yes, most of the time, most of the indoor plants can take the moss. And it just, one, two, it just, what I call, we call top dressing. It just adds that extra finishing polish and it just makes everything look really good and nice and neat when you have the, the soil top dress with the moss. Uh, is there any plants you like to cut in? Do you have any favorites for that? So I'm very fortunate that I am surrounded by a ton of growers that do <laughs> all true. of that for me. <laughs> you're like, no, nope. uh, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, you know what? I think my business is solely focused on like the design part 
the installation part and I'm going to leave the propagation because that's a, that's a, that's a science to the Mm -hmm. growers. And I'm so lucky. I work with several older gentlemen, um, plantsmen who take really good care of me and who do, if I see something or in my travels, or if I'm like, oh, I really want to try that, they'll order it, they'll bring mm-hmm. it in and they grow it at their farm, you know, slash nursery and they'll cultivate it and then they'll let me try it. So um, I'm going to leave the propagating up to them. <laughs> Fun. Okay. I have another one that's a random question, but say I want to do more, just cut or like more stems for cutting for my own rate, like just something that somebody's coming over and I didn't know they were coming and I don't have time to like run and get something. What can I have maybe that can cut and place in containers that's easy enough to grow in outside or inside? So Taryn, I'm so glad you are bringing this up. One of the things we love to create for our clients are called snip and clip gardens. Yes. Uh, yes. It's a thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it is a thing. And that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I personally love to garden is so I can go outside right before guests come over or my clients can go right outside and just snip and clip and make little happies and place them by their bedside tables. They're great for entertaining. So one of my favorite that I have really, this was kind of like a, um, I planted this and it actually took off. So I love to use different types of greenery. I'm going to talk about the blooms in a second, but I want to focus on some of the greens that I love to use. Mint. Mint makes the most gorgeous foliage in an arrangement and it smells so good. The Kentucky Colonel Mint or any type of spearmint um, plant it in a large container. Be wary when you plant it actually in the yard because she will overtake the garden. Okay. And But I love to use mint. It's such a great accent to all the different blooms I'm going to talk about in just a minute. And then I also love to use Autumn Joy Sedum. Autumn Joy Sedum is another great so um, texture <laughs> yep, that I love to use in the um, in my arrangements for bringing um, inside. So you could just mix. I love that we're notes. all taking notes. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, I love to use the different greens. So if you don't have anything blooming in your garden, it's okay. Don't forget that you can also use the evergreens, the leaves of the camellias, the leaves of the. Uh, of the hydrant, just different things. You don't forget you can use the greenery. Okay, now let's talk about the fun stuff, the blooms. Of course, one of my favorite things is the um, limelight hydrangea that blooms in the peak of summer, and it is just one of my favorites. I think everybody needs to have in their garden because, one, it's a super easy plant to grow, and, two, they are so showy on any dinner table, on any bedside table, or any coffee table. Limelight. And perennials. I love to use different sages, like Russian sage is a great perennial. Uh, I love to use purples and lavenders and um, whites, you know, in the garden, um, you know, things that are cool. We're in the South, right? So we don't want things that make us feel hot. I often think that like if you use red in the garden, it makes me feel hot. That's why I like to use a cool colorway. Rutabecchia. There's so many great things in a snip and clip garden. In fact, if you check out our website at CarmenJustinGardens.com, we have all kinds of great things, and our and on our Instagram too. Lots of people are asking like what to plant in a snip and clip garden, and it's yes. all there. Oh, perfect. 
Okay, I have questions because I also love clipping stuff out of the garden and I have I have lots of plants that I love, but I feel like often the prettiest flowers also require full sun and that we have a pretty shady yard. It's not full shade, but are there any great I mean, you mentioned autumn sedum, so I feel like that one That's full work. sun. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, and I have tons of hydrangeas, so I've got that covered. Because they, it's sometimes like morning and then afternoon mm-hmm. shade. What what else? Do you have any Linton roses? L E. Yes. I love yes. yes, I love okay. Linton roses. Linton roses dry beautifully, and if they're maintained properly, you'll still have that gorgeous limey chartreuse bloom, and it's kind of like a dried mm-hmm. petal all the way through May. They're I- just one of my favorites to plant in a shade garden. Now, a great annual that I love to plant in a shade garden that makes an incredible snip and clip to bring inside is a dragon wing begonia. Dragon wing begonias, they come in pink and red, and then they also have um, angel wing begonias, which are white, and those do very well in the shade, and they uh, bloom, you know, they do really, really well. Okay, so both the Linton roses and the, and the, these begonias, you can, you can snip for an arrangement. Yes, y'all. You can snip anything for an arrangement <laughs> in your yard. I think. I think a lot of people think that there's a rule I, of what you can I snip do. and clip, and okay, that's not. why. No, I think that so many people are shocked when I say like I just love in my mint julep cups. I have you know a beautiful collection of sterling mint julep cups that I just will stuff just along the table. I'll stuff them with you know a gorgeous bouquet of fresh mint with candles and that's the centerpiece for the evening so you know don't be afraid you can even do that with hydrangea leaves or camellia leaves don't they don't all have to be a flower of course we love the flowers but just you know don't be afraid to go out and cut in in the garden and uh you can't do anything wrong you can't hurt don't don't be intimidated okay I like I hearing that. all this. I know. I feel so more empowered right now. I'm going to go cut it all. I was noticing on a TikTok video that recently that you mentioned mint by the back door. So you're always cocktail ready. And I oh, yes. loved that idea <laughs> and totally stealing that one, especially since you mint just goes everywhere. Need to be cocktail ready. And so <laughs> we... Every garden needs to have your cocktail elements, your cocktail herbs, and those would be lavender, lemon thyme, mint in the in the summertime, and uh, and also too one of my favorites is pineapple sage. Oh my goodness, you can buy that. Just give a few more, give it a few more weeks, and you will see it out in the stores. Pineapple sage. Oh my yum! It is so fragrant. And muddles so well. And uh, what I like to do is I'll uh, you know, fill up a cocktail, uh, you know, one of the shakers, mm-hmm. fill it with ice, fill it with the, one of the one of the herbs. Just shake it up, shake up the ice and the herb, and let all the essential oils release right before you actually add the you know the vodka or the tequila and all the fun stuff you know but yeah make sure that you uh shake it up first with the ice and then that way all the oils will be released before you do your cocktail smart uh, <laughs> uh, i didn't know we were getting a cocktail i know too, right? i'm like <laughs> i'm ready to pivot into cocktails now. exactly oh, I'm right. anymore. i great. love that co- okay so i need a cocktail <laughs> garden i need a snip and clip garden 
Yes. Everybody. Okay. Well, that's what's great about gardens is, and that's what we really try to do for, you know, our clients and for, you know, just to create that beautiful place where they can entertain. And that's what I love to do. I love, I love to entertain personally, but I love to teach people how to entertain and decorate with plants and flowers. And I think oftentimes and what I'm hearing from y'all is, you know, sometimes you're intimidated, but it's okay. Just try it. And it's okay if you fail. Like I said earlier, it's a lot like cooking. Sometimes we cook recipes that don't work out. Sometimes we plant things that don't work out. It's okay. Just try it. Try something else. You know, because every yard is different. Every every garden is different. It requires something different. Okay. I have, I have one more question that I have to ask, though. I like, okay, so <laughs> okay. now I'm entertaining. I'm outside. I have my beautiful arrangement on my table that I clipped from my own garden. I got my cocktails with my also garden herbs in them. Now, bugs. Is there anything <laughs> in these beautiful planters I can put to help me so that the mosquitoes don't carry my guest away? Do you have any tips or Citronella. Tricks? Okay. Citronella. And that's also another herb or plant that should go in your cocktail garden as well. You can buy that also at your local garden center. And it just, it's literally what the citronella candles are made from that essential oil. And you can mix that in your container gardens. You can plant it out in your yard and it definitely helps keep the bugs away. And that's such a great, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's people often ask me a lot, can I mix the herbs in my container gardens? Yes, through the winter and through the summer. So when you're doing your containers, uh, you know, and you're trying, when you're planting for entertaining, just realize you can mix the herbs with the flowers. And it's always fun too to have that as a, I'll have it sitting outside a cocktail herb garden outside for my enjoyment. Then I'll bring it inside and set it next to the bar for when I have guests over and they can snip and clip their herbs and make their fun cocktails. Well, I gotta have cute Y'all just need to that. come over. We I know. I need garden. to see your whole setup. <laughs> I do want to see that garden. <laughs> I've heard you rosemary is also good for keeping the bugs oh. away because of the rosemary, the oils in the in the stems. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, rosemary grows where strong women live. And so I have I always plant rosemary in our clients' gardens. And I have rosemary growing uh, very prolifically around. We actually live in Thomaston on my husband's family's farm. And so we have rosemary planted in a lot of different places. And <laughs> I don't know necessarily if it helps keep the bugs away because I feel like the bugs are pretty bad with it. But I think it looks gorgeous and it's fragrant. And especially in the summertime, it's great for um, barbecuing. And you want to make sure... You use, you know, there's several different types of rosemary. And I love to use the, um, I love to plant the barbecue rosemary in the ground because it stays nice and upright. And I love to use the um, prostrate, which actually trails down in my containers. So there's different types of rosemaries that work well. But you can use either of those to cook with. And oh, right? they 100%. don't differ. It's just the way they grow. Okay. It's just the way they grow. Yep. Okay, I have a question about my rosemary. Okay, it started to get like little white. It like oh yeah, spider yeah. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they could have spider mites. They basically 
Um, Caroline, I'm going to send you a formula that you can mix. I don't know it off the top of my head, but that way, and maybe you can share it with everybody, but yes. it's like dish soap and certain oils that you can spray on. It's a natural spray to kind of help get rid of those. I'll send you the formula okay. for that. Like it almost looks like spots, white spots on the rosemary yeah. leaves for, to, for people since I didn't really finish that thought, but yes. And so can I cook with it still while it has yes. that stuff it's, on it? It's completely fine. It's okay. it, it doesn't. It's just one of the. Uh, it's just been kind of attacked by a little bug. But you're you're good. It's just part of Mother Nature. You're fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> and so this spray will get get rid of it. Yeah, it's a natural spray. I'll send you the formula. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, so I feel bad because we did ask people to send in questions from Instagram, and instead we filled this entire fifty minutes with just our own <laughs> questions. So we do have oh, to get to other people's questions. They were good. No, they were. They totally were. I yes, thoroughly enjoyed people. the conversation. Okay, we were being selfish, but we got it. We got to answer other yes. people's too. Do you recommend any courses to learn garden design besides landscape architecture? Okay, what courses do I recommend for, you know that, I think it's a master class series that is out that has, I think it's a really famous gardener that kind of, I have not signed up for it, but I, I'm, I think that that's, they offer some great classes. A lot of it is just buying there's so many incredible beautiful gardening books out there like bunny williams has one you know gardening at home i think i have it behind me that's a great book to read as far as classes check out that master class but when i first started gardening you know i grew up gardening with my dad and i am uh, you know a landscape designer by i taught i'm self-taught right and I just bought a ton. I first started 15 years ago off of Amazon and just bought a ton of books and just started reading. And then I uh, married into a family who was in the greenhouse business. And I learned a lot from my husband from that. And so if you're trying to, if you're new and trying to learn to garden, also too, check out TikTok. <laughs> there's <Yeah>. so <laughs> follow Carmen. Not just yeah. we're I know we're giving great tips, but there's so many great tips and pieces of advice out there on TikTok that you can learn from. Should we at least start with a book that's local to us, like a month by month, by state or by zone? Yes. Let me think of what there's, I, I want to say, I think it's like the Peachtree Gardening Club that has a great book out. Let me research that for y'all because Someone actually shared this book for, uh, with me, and I was like, I did not know that that existed. And it was a great book for in your area. And that's another great tidbit is a lot of extension centers locally put out newsletters that say what to do in your gardens, what time to do things in your garden. So if you just go and sign up, just Google online your local extension center. And they often put out, and you can sign up and subscribe to their emails. I get them a lot because they're talking about things that are, you know, working in the garden that are not working in the garden. But that's another great tidbit to figure out what works and what doesn't work. The extension service, they are a very important part of our, of the, um, the, the, the government. It actually, everybody has an extension service agent that helps the local farmers in that area basically grow. They test the soil for us. 
they, you know, just, they keep us informed about like what, you know, bugs and diseases are, you know, are happening, how to handle, how to take care of those different things. So use your local extension service agents is what they're called. And they're free. It's free. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Okay. Next question from our list. Best large magnolia tree for zone seven. A bracken brown. Okay. Bracken that's brown. That's the kind with the brown on the back of the leaf? Yeah, that's actually, you're talking more of a teddy bear magnolia. Um, the bracken brown does have a gorgeous, shiny, evergreen top, and it has the brown underneath, but it doesn't overtake like the green of four, you know, magnolia. So the bracken brown is definitely one of my go-tos. Okay. Wisteria. I want to plant wisteria on a trellis in my open backyard. I'm in zone seven. I've read online that it can, it can engulf my space overnight. Can I safely plant it? You can plant it and it will engulf your space, but you need to get your clippers out and make sure be ready <laughs> to maintain it. <laughs> but you know what though? Go for it. Wisteria is beautiful. I see it in full bloom right now in purple and white here and it's absolutely stunning but let me share with you some of my favorites I love to use on a trellis I love to use star jasmine and it's something that you it has the most incredible fragrance and it's one of my go-to's and it's something that you will enjoy year-round because it is an evergreen in our area the only thing about wisteria is that once she does her thing and she blooms she kind of looks a little woody on the trellis. What is the best kind of plant do you recommend for people trying to grow on their house that's not too invasive? Okay, so I have some bad news about any plant Don't. that you're trying to grow on your house. Okay, going to be invasive. It's going to be invasive. It's something that now I love to grow creeping fig on our clients' homes. It is so worth it to me, and I just beware, it will eventually creep into some of the mortar joints, but if it's maintained properly and you don't let it completely overtake, it can be actually beautiful, but that does not exist. A plant that will not totally, completely, Perfect. if you're trying to cover mm -hmm. your house, <laughs> it just, but I think it's so worth it. I think everybody should have something growing on their house, whether it's a new dawn rose flanking an entryway, okay. whether it's a, just a small portion of the house or a sidewall that has gorgeous creeping fig, but it is, it's all invasive, but I think it's worth it. Okay. Taryn, I think you're asking because you planted those like trellis pillars on your new house, right? I do. Is um, that what you're thinking? Yes. I, yeah. I think a climbing rose. A climbing rose? Okay. Dude, if you have not looked up Antique Rose Emporium because I've been talking oh, about have. it for five years, <laughs> no, then have. you need to because they're my favorite. Well, is I know. Well, the new Dawn Rose, I assume, is a, is a good one for so, a lattice. Okay. It's one of my favorites. It's this gorgeous, like porcelain, pale pink bloom and fragrant and super tough and works really well in your area. <laughs> I love how this go. podcast is working well for me. <laughs> okay, keep going for listeners. Okay, so here's one. Who is your favorite landscape architect? I don't know if maybe this person knew you and they were expecting you to say them or if they're oh. just generally curious. <laughs> So, okay, I actually have, so I have several, she actually, there's a new book out on her and I just got it in the mail and I cannot wait to, um, to go through it. 
Beatrix Ferrand. She was actually like one of the um, first architects and she was self-taught. She's incredible. She has an incredible new book out. I would have to say one of my favorites is Ben Page. He is based out of Nashville and I have been fortunate enough to work with him on several projects and just his vernacular uh, of how he moves you through the garden and how he talks about a garden is just spectacular. And every everything he does, he's like the rock star of gardening, of landscape architecture in my book. Benjamin G. Page, uh, yes. architectural designer. His yes. name is Ben Page Landscape on Instagram. If you're curious, I just followed him. <laughs> yeah, I have great. so many favorites. I, I kind of hate to call out individuals because there's so many great, you're talented like, yeah. people out there. And a lot of them are, are producing some pretty incredible books. But he's one of my favorites just because I've worked with him personally on several things. And he's just great. I thought maybe you were going to say Frederick Law instead. Oh, well, I mean, the father that's of kind landscape of architecture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are the best plants for beds in front of our house that look good year round? I'm in zone eight. Okay. I think that's like a double-edged sword question because I want to make sure everybody knows there are a few rules of when you're planting different shrubs in your house. You need to create layers, right? And you always need to anchor the house. So you never just want to plant, you know, plant something what I call flat all the way across. You need to create layers and dimension. So uh, I always like to anchor the house with some sort of steeple, holly, Azor, holly, sasanqua. I always like to anchor the house with something and then kind of fill in in between. I love to use distillium, shishi gashira, camellias. I know these are all evergreens that work really well in our area and are super tough. So just okay. make sure if you take anything away from that, plant in layers. Oh, and make sure you stay at least five to eight feet off of the foundation of your house. Oftentimes you see people planting way too close to their home. You always want to make sure you leave plenty of room for your house. What I call it needs to breathe. Okay. Okay. Five, five to, eight, to eight, eight feet. That's pretty okay. far. Yeah. It is. You know why? Because once those shrubs start growing, they're going to encroach about four feet back. Okay. Yep. So then so. you just have blank space in between? Yes. You need to have some blank space because you need your house physically needs to breathe. You never want plants so close where it can't allow airflow to move through the foundation of the house. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And it also keeps like the roots and different things from, uh, we're in the process of um, renovating a house and we had to, of course, rip out everything in the front and the roots were growing into the foundation of the house. So that's another reason why you don't want to plant too terribly close, like especially certain trees, magnolias, those root systems are pretty invasive and they will go straight through that foundation wall. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Okay. Um, how would that's me? That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you the didn't do it. Per no, se the yeah. previous owner planted a fig, and it was probably about thirty years old before they took it out. And the entire foundation in one corner of the house is pitched, probably at like a twenty-five degree angle. There's a giant crack, so we had to have that that all fixed. Oh no! Yikes! Yes. 
So that's one of the reasons why you stay off at least five to eight feet. (laughs) Okay. Lesson learned. Okay. Right. So let's see. How would you disguise a compost bin in a backyard or a designated garden area? Depending on, so I love hedges. I think oftentimes that you, you know, a lot of times people are always asking me, how can I create privacy hedges? And I consider hiding a compost bin as a privacy hedge. I love to use podocarpus. Podocarpus is a great evergreen that works really well in our area. And it can get like six to eight feet tall if you keep it manicured really well. And you can stack it really nice and neat together or a needle point holly hedge is another great way. So just build walls around like a fence out of the shrubs. And then eventually, you know, keep it nice and clipped and maintained about, you know, six to eight feet and literally leave like a doorway, just leave a little opening that you can maneuver in and out of, but you can create a great privacy hedge with those plants to hide anything. Okay, great. What's the best landscaping tip for a large yard with high energy dogs around? Oh my goodness. Okay. So we actually have two English cockers. They're not large or tiny and they do tear up a lot and they love to run like the same path. So, uh, I know, uh, one is, so one of the things that we have started doing for a lot of clients that have dogs is installing artificial turf. The artificial turf can't, now this is, hold on, let me clarify this. This is not in the entire yard. These are in wealth thought out spaces that where the dogs are going to be running around, right? So the um, art, and of course, if it's installed properly, the artificial turf can just be a great way to have that beautiful green manicured lawn look. And, um, and it can take that really intense energy from coming from the dogs from there. I know it happens. They make these little trails because I see them in my client's yard and they happen in our yard too. And that's the other thing too, is it's really hard when you have dogs to maintain just that beautiful, perfect garden. But it's more important for me, for my dogs to have a great place to run around. And I will sacrifice and have those little trails around because I know they're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. What should I plant in some containers by my door? I get part shade in the morning, blasting sun in the afternoon. I'm also not great at watering. See, this person is me. Is it you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I already asked my question. So, okay. It sounds like she needs to some faux boxwoods. Yep. She definitely could do some faux boxwoods. And then I think she should try doing the sedums and the diamond frost. But another great... Now, okay, this isn't, y'all, all all plants are going to have to be watered. If you want to keep them alive, you want to (laughs) look and keep them looking great. One of my favorite combinations for a front porch that can take great, you know, afternoon sun, believe this or not, a Kimberly Queen fern is pretty hardy and loves the morning shade, can take the afternoon sun. But I just love a good old fashioned Kimberly Queen fern mixed with um, Creeping Jenny, which is a gorgeous trailing plant that's a chartreuse color, and dragon wing begonias. I keep talking about dragon wing begonias because they are extremely forgiving. And they are just such a showy plant and just really put on a spectacular color for a front porch. And they're just graceful. The way they arch and the way they take over that container, they're just beautiful. Okay. I can already tell you that I'm going to have to re-listen to this episode multiple times. Okay. Oh, I know. We've Just all been to get all of my plant lists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. What about when you're planting, it says loosening roots in a plastic container. Like what about 
I guess, techniques for when you're actually putting the plants in the container? How much do you need to loosen up the roots? So I am really guilty about not loosening up the roots. I I have a method I call like my step and shove where I'm just hurry. I'm just planting. I'm trying to make everything look pretty because we plant hundreds of containers every single year for our clients. But this is the general rule of thumb that everyone needs to follow. So when you buy a plant, an annual, and you take it out of the pot and you see all of these white roots just heavily involved, running circles around that root ball, that's when you need to break it up and loosen it up, right? It just needs a little bit of help to, so it can, her legs can grow and stretch out in the container. So just simply nudge a little, you know, a few tidbits like off the bottom of it. But if your plant doesn't have a really strong root system, sometimes I'll take off the pots and you just see a few little, you know, the white roots. I usually don't remove the root system. Now that's just for annual color. That's not for shrubs. You know, when you're planting, when you're planting your container, something different than when you're planting in the ground. Okay. What about when you're planting in the ground? Okay, so when you are planting a shrub in the ground, you always want to make sure that your hole is at least two and a half times the size of the root ball, the size of the pot, okay? And you want to make sure that you plant at least, uh, I call it plant it high, um, it won't die, plant it low, it won't grow. Meaning you want to make sure that the root ball is at least an inch above grade level, right? Oftentimes what happens is people will plant way too deep and they put too much dirt around the actual root structure, like the neck of the plant, and they suffocate it. <laughs> so I wish y'all could so see you her say, hand movements. Yeah. I know. <laughs> she's like she's like has her hands up to her neck okay. suffocating herself. No turtlenecks for the plants. Got it. Oh, I love that. I need to say that, tell that to my crews because I'll see them sometimes. I was like, "Eh, no, 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 you got to make sure don't choke the plant. So it's really important that you follow those few tidbits when you're planting, whether annuals in the containers or trees and shrubs in the ground. Okay. So if the root ball is a little bit above, are you going to put mulch? Mulch. You want to put like pine straw to protect those roots? Correct. Correct. And it's not a ton. When you, when you really start talking about an inch, you're talking about that much, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, and now let me clarify this too. Don't suffocate the structure, the, the tur- don't suffocate it with all the mulch either. You know, just gently, you know, sprinkle it because that plant needs airflow. That's how it grows. Those are all of our questions from Instagram. Ladies, any last? Yes. Pine straw or mulch? Ooh. Where do you, mm. where do you live? on that question. Okay. I believe that there are certain places for pine straw and there are certain places for Mm. mulch. For example, I think that any type of annual bed should have a fine pine, fine, pine, fine, pine, fine mulch. It just makes it look nice and neat. If you are in your, where the shrubs and the trees and the outer arms of the garden, the outer layers of the garden, should definitely have like out have pine straw. It's just easier for for my you know for Wait, pine now, straw or mulch. Pine straw, pine straw. Okay. And right. then in the garden, in the garden and in your annual beds, like the the pretty stuff, what I call the jewelry of the garden, that mm-hmm. should have the mulch, like mulch. the fine oh, okay. pine pines. You know, I know a lot of people. We have a lot of followers from Texas, and if you go out to Texas, 
you know, there's no pie straw. And it's really interesting on TikTok. We have people that we, they see, they're like, what is that? And they're, have never really seen pie straw before. So there you remember, uh, and I want to bring that up. So uh, listeners from all over the country know that we are in the South and we have pine straw down here. But a lot of people up much of north it. and out west will use, you know, there's so many different types of mulches. They can use rocks. You know, my aunt and uncle live in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it's so weird to me. They have rocks as their mulch, but that's just what they use out there. That's what, so when you're using mulch, Try to look at like what's in your area. What do people use? But personally, that's my belief system in our area for for mulch and pine straw. Okay, what color mulch? Oh, Oh, red, red. She's going all red. I know she's going to have some strong feels about it. (laughs) I okay, I can't believe I'm about to tell you all this. So we had the most beautiful garden at our house. We um, had a beautiful home in Columbus. Then we moved back to the family farm and I had the most incredible garden. So I will, we sold the house. And when I went back the following season, Mm -mm. guess what was out there? Red mulch. Yes. Did you die? I had a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) It's just awful. Never buy red mulch. And guys, if y'all, use, if you're listening to me and you use red mulch, it's okay. I, it's just a personal preference. I just really like <laughs> Carmen. The, just hates uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just uh, whoa. I do think it has kidding. a lot of visual presence, so you're no longer looking at the plants. I mean, that is my personal opinion on it. Is you're looking at the mulch versus the plants, so it's whatever you're wanting. Well, remember to Remember when I said yeah. earlier about how gardens should feel like there should be a calming, soothing presence in a garden. I think that's why a lot of people turn to gardening in the pandemic. When you add something red like that in the garden, it just stops you in your tracks and it doesn't work as a, like what the natural mulch does. It's just too Mm -hmm. much on the eyes. What I call, it's really hard for the eye to to land. It's just too much. It's not good. Bunny Williams is one of our go-to garden inspirations. As you, men- you mentioned her book, she's a gardening expert. We have a video with her. Yeah, she's like your brainiac with, with gardens. And she has with us a line of garden accessories. She has some furniture. And if you notice, all of her outdoor stuff is the same color. And that's sort of a brown black. It's not black and it's not brown. It's sort of an in-between like brownie black gray. And in some interview with her, it was probably years ago, she mentioned that the reason she likes this color is because it just kind of goes away. It's sort of like a camouflage in the yard. And so I feel like it's kind of the same thing with your mulch. Like you want that sort of dark brown black color. I guess black mulch is kind of your what that is because it's just going to go away. You don't want red you want mulch. It to look but, natural. Yeah, you want it to go away. Yes. You don't want people yes. looking at your mulch. You want the focus to be on the gore and all your hard work to be on the beautiful shrubs and plants and the different things. You don't want that red mulch to pop out. But I do love Bunny Williams' new collection. I mean, the two containers, obelisk containers, we actually created a video for y'all on that. Oh, my goodness. Such a great piece. And I currently have them at my house. And I love them. And let me tell you what I really want to get is her trellis. The trellis oh, yeah. piece, piece that she created. So pretty. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, everyone needs some sort of, as they say in France, the trellage look, as you can see in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needs to have some sort of element like that. 
And it's just a statement in every garden. And what's great about her collection is she's given you that access to that. So mm-hmm. you can do it, whether it's an obelisk that she created or the trellis. So she is the goddess <laughs> yes, of gardening yes. for sure. Okay. I think we can probably ask you questions for another 45 yes, minutes, but absolutely, <laughs> we will give you your day back because we are, are um, monopolizing your time. But thank oh, you so much. Yes. So, I wanted to ask y'all real quick. There was one thing I wanted to share with y'all about our bespoke garden plans that we're doing. We're getting a ton of feedback on it on Instagram. Can we chat about that real quick? Yes, yes. Yeah. absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. Tell us about your, your garden plans before we go. So we call this our pandemic pivot. During the pandemic, of course, everybody was stuck at home and everybody wanted to get out in the garden. And we were getting so many requests from on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, do you do garden plans? So I am a landscape designer and a landscape contractor. And we have a business where we go all over you know, the, um, the Southeast where we will design the garden and we will install it all the way from like grading, drainage, the irrigation, the planting, the hardscape, the, the whole nine yards. Well, we were, I mean, it was just, they were coming in left and right. And I was, I always felt like I had, if I designed the garden, I had to be able to install it. Well, we decided, and my business manager was like, okay, we've got to do that. We've got to create something that we can help everyday, you know, people, whether they want to DIY it themselves, they can create their own gardens at home. So it's bespokegardenplans.com. It's a uh, virtual e-design where we can design your garden online and you submit us your videos, your pictures. We'll do FaceTime calls with you. And what's great about it is technology with Google Earth and all these different things. We can take the exact measurements and create a garden for you. And so whether you want to DIY your garden or whether you want to install it in phases or you can give the plan to a landscape um, contractor or, you know, or your local landscape to install, but we're doing them all over the country and we are getting so many requests for it. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like we're able to help so many people because I, y'all have a great series about, you know, how to build a house. And I think that's what Bespoke Garden Plans does for so many people is we know we've made all the mistakes, right? We know what to do. We know what works in your area. We know what doesn't work in your area. We really think about the way a house functions. You know, I believe every house has what we call a 360 function, you know, um, and I do think that there's some aspect to a woman designing your garden because we think a little bit differently about how we entertain, how we enter the house, how kids are in the house. We think about we have toddlers right now, but one day they're going to be needing a place to park. Right. They're going to have you're going to have if you have three children, you're going to have three cars. So we think about it a little bit differently and uh, we're super excited about. So be sure to check out bespokegardenplans.com and we would love to help all of y'all design your gardens. Okay, and that's great to know that you're doing them in all in all zones all over the country, too, because that means anyone can can contact you, not just people in the in the Georgia area. Well, yeah. And you'll you'll even do a bed like if I want a bed like done you'll you can even help with just a bed that's great i think yep. it helps we with any bed, scale yeah 
Yes. And like I said, it just really, we're giving, it's like I'm holding your hand through the process, right? Where you have, uh, you know, so oftentimes some people just, they don't even know where to start. And, and I think it's like when you're building a house or when you're designing a house, invest that money. It's, it's one of the best investments you'll ever make in a landscape plan because it really helps you avoid so many mistakes and saves you money in the long run. And you'll, you know, like we go ahead, even though you can't, you, you want to do a pool, but you can't do a pool right now. Let's go ahead and site that pool in, right? So that way you're not wasting your money planting 10 trees in that area. And then, you know, three years later, you're having to pull all those up because you decide to place a pool there. And the other thing about a landscape plan that I think is so important and why that's such a smart idea is it takes so long for your plants to grow and really mature. So having a plan that you can execute now, because if you're, if you don't do it until five years, but then you're only going to be in the house seven years, you're never really going to get the, you're never going to get to experience and enjoy it like the yeah yeah, you're gonna have moved and then next people i mean who knows what they want so maybe they. i will tell you that's a great point (laughs) that you bring up is we are actually a lot of our clients when they sell their homes they are giving as part of selling the home the landscape plan so that way they can continue what you've started so it's also another great selling point i've heard that from several of our clients that they're doing this, even though they're only going to be there for a few years, that way it really helps with the sell of their home. It's like an added bonus. Super smart. Yeah. Okay. Carmen, tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work. Okay. So CarmenJohnstonGardens.com is where you can check us out. We are on Instagram at Carmen Johnston Gardens, on TikTok as Carmen Johnston Gardens. We have all kinds of fun, fun videos. And if you need a garden designer, you need a plan, check out BespokeGardenPlans.com. We would love to help you. And please, y'all, feel free to reach out to me on any of those platforms. I think we do a really good job of answering questions. And I think of all of y'all as my friends. And I really want to help you, you know, succeed in your garden. So feel free to reach out to me anytime. I would love to help all of y'all. Oh, thank you so much, Carmen. Thank this you so great. much. I so enjoyed this episode. Yes. I'm, I'm, I can tell you now that I'm going to have to go back and, and re-listen. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so many tips. Yes. I know. Well, y'all, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, go check out our YouTube channel where you can see Carmen's videos where she does the boxwood tutorial and as well as a couple other Huge. really pretty table and mm-hmm. she does those uh the bunny we're using at the front door yes exactly. yeah. oh, we all need that this season so hop to it okay. <laughs> thank you and that's our show you can find all of the show notes on our blog how to decorate.com slash podcast to send in a decorating dilemma email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space and of course be sure to follow us on social media at ballard designs Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!